I don't know if you realize, but when someone brings a language of the Spirit or a tongue, and uh, well done for singing out, uh, um, I believe it often sparks something. And what most of us tend to do is say, oh Lord, please give somebody else the interpretation. Uh, I just want to read you a verse uh, from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6. Because I think it's quite instructive. It says this. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? This is the Apostle Paul speaking. What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So we usually think must be a, a word of interpretation, which is always good. But I think when a tongue comes, people get a spark of revelation. If you had something before the tongue comes, ignore it. That isn't part of what's meant to be a response. But when the tongue is brought and you think, oh, I've got this picture, or oh, I've just had this phrase in the scripture, if there's a spark of revelation... Uh, you may think, well, I can't bring it because I haven't got an interpretation. But here it says uh, that as long as there is some form of presenting the revelation to God's people, to lift up God's people, it's good. Uh, so we had words just saying things like, get up, church, shake the dust off. Uh, we had words of, Lord, I'm yours, I'm going to follow you. Uh, but I bet if we had paused the service, there would have been others who said, actually, I had some spark of revelation. So I want to ask, we had two tongues this morning. If you're a visitor, we believe the, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit gives us a gift of a language we don't know the meaning of. But God also gives his people the gift of revelation, interpretation, so that we have something to lift up God's people. He's always trying to encourage us because we always need encouraging. So can I ask, who felt they had something, some spark came when either of the words of the Spirit came, uh, words of tongues came? Put your hand up if that's you. A spark of some sort. So we've got a load of them. Um, I would love to just hear what they were because often you think, well, does that fit in? Um, you don't have to do it as a prophecy. You don't have to... Just tell us what you saw or, or what revelation came. Uh, so if you guys, there were about five of you, you don't have to come forward. But I think it's very instructive for what God wants to do today. And I bet somehow it'll be helping us to spur us to plant again into Crew Natwich and... Uh, just, I, I don't know what the words are going to be, but could those of you put your hand up? If you feel you are okay, just come and tell us what you saw. You don't have to do it as a prophecy. Uh, this would be a good time to come. Could we have a microphone for those guys? That would be great. There's a microphone waiting. Please come. Tell us what you got when that word came. <clears throat> Thank you. And could all of you come? There are about five of you. It would be good to hear it quick, 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 quick. 
as we start as we started the service this morning Rob led the worship group by asking us to basically pay better attention than normal to what was going on then the sound system decided to try and defraud him or whatever prevent that happening and we had the worship group up here playing the music and singing the first hymn and God was saying to me that's how I feel when you lot aren't listening properly and in any case if it, we rely a lot on technology here and in other churches but what he's saying is keep plugged in to me and once uh, Keith I think took a new component over there and they plugged it in suddenly we were all able to join in and worship the Lord and praise him and what the Lord was saying to me is you've got to stay plugged in all the time otherwise you will miss the benefits thank you brilliant, thank you uh, any others, do you fancy coming up do you fancy coming up, just tell us what you saw or, or what the word was you don't have to thank you I think I messed up the PowerPoint by giving my PowerPoint thing in and it needed, it needed some correction. It worked fine in Liverpool, but, so I bet that was my fault. So I apologise. <laughs> All I got really was um, thankfulness. And um, I'd just like to say this morning, you know, some of you know that I've not been brilliant. And this morning I put on praise worship um, from Premier. And all old songs came up. Oh. And this morning we've sung old songs and something in my heart has, has gone click. And what I heard was, we need to not listen to lies, but be thankful for everything God gives us, even when we don't feel like it. Brilliant. Uh, for me, it was just, uh, it's not how you think you are with uh, worship. It's not how good you are. It's how good God thinks you are. It's He's given you the confidence to worship, to sing. And it doesn't matter if you think you're bad, looking at no one. <laughs> but it's what God wants. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, we'll stop there. Uh, so I just want, I, I like some of the words that came. Uh, God isn't about just painting over the old. He actually takes away the old and makes something new. We're going to look at Peter's story today. Peter's story, you will know better, as Mark's gospel. Mark was one of Paul's disciples who let Paul down, actually. Uh, but by the end of Mark's, uh, as Mark got older, John Mark, uh, he's, no, he's known as, as he got older, Paul accepted him back and thought, actually, this guy is useful. Uh, and actually, he became a friend of Peter as well, and we think he was the one who wrote down Mark's Gospel for Peter. Because remember, the, these fishermen are ordinary and unschooled men. But Mark must have been schooled, and we think he wrote down this Gospel. Uh, so it's really Peter's story we're looking at, and I want to look particularly 
at Mark chapter 3, and we're going to look at three stories. Uh, and you need to know that Peter's story ends up in Rome with Nero the emperor. Uh, and uh, so Nero was, and we think the, the gospel might have been written from Rome as well, so that John Mark was there with Peter. But um, Nero said he was God. The emperor of Rome said, worship me, I'm God. Uh, and he had a lot to back him up. He had the military might of Rome. Uh, but he said he was God, worship him, but actually he was mad and bad. He murdered his mother. He became an emperor at 14. He was convinced his mother was plotting against him. And uh, so he, uh, he, he sent her on a military ship he had the ship, the ship sunk. His mum swam ashore, uh, and uh, then he sent one of his soldiers to put a sword through her. He's mad. He killed his first wife, Octavia. He, he divorced her, accused her of adultery, which nobody believed. Uh, and um, but he banished her, and eventually got his own way and was able to have her executed. Uh, there was a great fire in Rome, and he ignored it. He was playing music while the fire was burning. Some people say that he actually set the fire because he wanted to build a new palace in the area where the fire was. But then worst of all, as far as I'm concerned, he blamed the Christians for this great fire that swept through Rome. And then he not only blamed them, he started to torture them. And uh, get, they were just a small minority of people in Rome these Christians, and he, for his entertainment, would cover Christians in tar, set them on fire up in the air to, to light up his courtyard. And you can go to the catacombs in Rome today uh, and see uh, just where the tombs are, but Christians were murdered as martyrs under this mad, bad, ordinary man called Nero. So that's the backdrop of the story um, that we're going to look at and Peter's story. But Peter's story is all about being just a fisherman, fishing all night, uh, and then Jesus speaks to him, says, what have you caught? I've caught nothing. Throw your net over the other side of the boat. Yeah, we've worked all night, Lord. I'm a fisherman, you're a carpenter. Back off. And, uh, and Jesus doesn't back off. He's not intimidated by any of us with any of our threats. And Jesus says, cast the net over the other side. Peter says, if you say so, Lord, so I'm sure he was humoring Jesus. Uh, he throws the net over the other side and he's astonished that the catch is so great that he has to call another boat, his partners, presumably James and John, to come and help him to bring in with his brother Andrew this great miracle catch of fish. He then says, Lord, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. And Jesus says, come follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. That's how Peter's story starts. Uh, Peter's story includes his mother-in-law having a fever and Jesus heals her. Remarkably, she gets up and serves them. Jesus made his base, actually, at Peter's house. We think that when the paralyzed man was lowered through the roof, that was Peter's house. So we're going to look at uh, part of Peter's <coughs> story <coughs> in the context of this amazingly terrible time for Christians when the gospel's being written, 
but they're remembering back to, although they're writing it now in Nero's day, they're looking back to the amazing days they spent with Jesus all around Nazareth and Capernaum and the Galilee Sea and then on the way to Jerusalem. So you might be here today and this is a thing that Christians will say to themselves from time to time, I'm not getting much out of church. Sounds reasonable. There's a much better way for Christians to think. I would say that's often a temptation. And really, the question should be that you ask yourself, what am I putting into church? Shake the dust off. It's time to get up and do some more. And uh, so we're going to look at the... uh, the quote from C.S. Lewis that you've probably heard if you've been on the Alpha course, you'll have heard this quoted. But when I was searching uh, briefly while at university, someone gave me mere Christianity. And someone said to me, you should really read one of the Gospels. And then someone also gave Basic Christianity by John Stott. But we're going to look at this quote And this book, where this quote is from, helped me to finally step over the line and say, Lord, I'm not trying to think what I'm getting out of it with you. I want to know what you want me to put into it. I'm yours. Tell me what you want from me. So this is C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and he says this. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who, uh, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said... Now, C.S. Lewis is referring to things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am the bread that comes down out of heaven. Jesus was making himself out to be God. He was accused of blasphemy. So those are the sort of things he's saying. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either, either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view he was God. Now, Peter's story is going to take us on a journey of three years in ministry, going around primarily the Galilee area, and everyone is saying, who is this? 
And I think little by little, people start to think, this is a king like David. He's going to take over the Roman army. He's going to lead us out from Rome. But actually, that was wrong. Uh, so Peter's story really is woven in to Mark's gospel, trying to help us to think, who is this? So first of all, is he mad? In Mark chapter 3, Jesus has been praying for people, healing people. People are crowding around wherever he goes. Peter's house, they crowd around. And he hasn't even sometimes got time to eat. Uh, so look, look what it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered the house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family or associates heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. I think when you're a church plant and then you're talking about planting again, a lot of people will say, you're out of your mind. What are you doing? What are you even thinking? We had a small group uh, in our house uh, and uh, little by little we started meeting in a school uh, the Christian Fellowship School in Liverpool. And when we got to about 50 people, uh, I think that's about right, and, and four of them were regularly coming across from the Wirral. And every, every week the Wirral four would say, when are we going to have a church in, in the Wirral? It's a fantastic question. It's not a bad question. And you think... Well, that's a great question, but it's really helpful having the four of you because you're all uh, people who are laborers. God sends laborers into the harvest field. God calls you not just to follow him, but to be a, a part of the answer to Chester, a part of the answer to Crewe and Natwich. Uh, but the four kept asking. I said, all right, we'll start doing a weekly uh, midweek group. So Charlotte and I would often go across and lead a group in Hoylake. And then little by little that grew and then they said, when can we have our own Sunday morning? So they had a monthly Sunday morning meeting uh, and uh, then they said, when can we have a, a weekly Sunday morning? And little by little it, it took off. Uh, we were only 50 when that happened and really the split ended up being like 50, 50, uh, 35-15. And you think, 35 left? 15 starting again with Dave Frodsham and Nicky Frodsham and, and they just did a great job. And you think, oh no, because what you tend to think is, oh look, all my friends are going to crew in Nantwich. But actually God brings people to fill in the gaps. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send labourers into the harvest field. God, we're going to really miss this person. They've been so key for the kids' work. Pray for someone else. And they'll go and do it again. So now we've got two kids' works, one in Crew and Nantwich, one here. But when you follow Jesus, often you're going to find that you're accused of being mad. There's all kinds of things that as Christians we do, and the world thinks they're crazy. They won't quite say you're mad, by the way, 
they'll often say, are you sure you know what you're doing? They'll say it in different ways. When you give 10% of your money away, not that you have to, but I see it says we're a generous, that's part of our vision, we're a generous people. The generosity has to start with us, but when you give generously and you happen to tell some non-Christian, they think you're mad. You won't be able to pay your mortgage. I tell you what, I personally have never yet met somebody who said, me giving to God has hurt me. I'm sure if any of you have got a story, tell me afterwards, but uh, I haven't met a Christian yet who gives generously, who hasn't somehow said, God has been so faithful. Sometimes at the 11th hour, but he's been so faithful. Sometimes I had to cry out to him, Lord, where's the provision? We need... But he's always been faithful. That's certainly my and our testimony that God has been faithful. When we had uh, a little five-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son, they're both grown up now, but, uh, and, and God says, Liverpool. And people are saying, why are you moving to Liverpool? Charlotte's from Manchester and uh, didn't really want her children growing up as scousers. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why that was. Uh, but people would ask us, why are you moving to Liverpool? And we'd say, because God's told us. You're mad. And you know what? That gets into our minds sometimes. And I remember driving to Liverpool and and starting to allow that to seep into my own uh, conscience. And I kept thinking, as I drove into Liverpool, what am I going to do if this all goes wrong? What am I going to do? What could I, and I used to drive past what was the Ford factory, it's now Jaguar, but I'd, I'd drive past Ford and think, I wonder if there's any job at Ford I could do. They probably don't need an ex-tennis player coach, that won't help me. Probably don't want a chaplain theologian type person. Uh, my dad was in tarmac, they probably don't need any tarmac doing so I'm thinking, I'm not even really qualified to do something at the Ford factory. But you know, that's a temptation that I let brew and that's not helpful. We are accused, when we follow Jesus, of being mad. You might be committed to following him and saying, we're waiting till marriage, until we have sex. And everyone in the world goes, you're mad. You wouldn't buy a car without test driving it, is the phrase people use, uh, which sounds a bit revolting, I see that. Uh, But... um, That's what the world says to us. You are mad. The amazing thing is that when you follow Jesus, one of the teachings is that we are called to be fools for Jesus. King David actually got this whole principle of foolishness before God and he was dancing after a great victory It seems that he didn't have a lot on and as he was dancing, he exposed himself. He didn't do it deliberately. But his wife was so angry with him. You look so foolish, undignified. And, you know, you were dancing. Everyone could see your bits. And uh, David says, I will be even more undignified than this. I am ready to follow God. And if I'm called a fool for rejoicing in him, I'll be called a fool. Paul was told, you're great learning, Paul. You're insane. How can a man be resurrected? 
That's madness. He's accused of being mad, but we're encouraged actually to renew our mind. What's our renewed mind going to look like? The mind of Christ. And when you follow Jesus, you will find that sometimes you're accused of being mad. Our youth leaders, every Friday night, are there with about 13 mainly non-Christian kids and they, they, used to, they used to cycle in the rain to get to the Friday night youth group. Uh, they'd cycle home in the rain. Now they've just got a car. And uh, they just poured their lives out for these young people. And many of the young people just liked to hang out so they could meet the opposite sex and flirt. There would always be a little bit of a God slot every Friday night. But you think, you're mad giving up on your Friday night. Every Friday night, getting soaking wet and cold and and a cold, dark Liverpool winter night. No, no, they're not mad. They're sowing seeds of the kingdom. And I bet we'll hear in heaven of people where seed fell on good soil and they say, well, actually, it was my youth leaders. I don't know if they even know how much of an impact they had on me. Sow seeds. You're not mad to sow seed. Yes, you are. It's just going to fall on hard path. No, some falls on good soil. So we might be accused of being mad. And and often people say when we speak in another language, tongues. That's mad. You're mad. And uh, it's it's not helped if you like things like Little Britain. They'll do little sketches or come fly with me, little sketches on speaking in tongues. And it always looks a bit mad uh, when Matt Lucas and David Walliams do it. But it's not mad. We're following Jesus. Don't allow that to get into your psyche and make you think, oh, I'm stepping back then. I'm not going to be a fool for Jesus anymore. Jesus, is he mad? No. Is he bad? He's accused of being bad. You might be accused of being bad sometime because you're following Jesus. Um, Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 22. The teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem. They've come a long way now and they've gone all the way up to the Galilee area. Uh, So they're hearing lots of stories about this healer, this rabbi. He's casting out demons. He's really healing people. We saw a paralyzed man get up. A man with a withered arm in the synagogue. He stretched his arm out. He was healed. We've seen it. We know it's true. Uh, They didn't dispute the truth of the healing. They disputed where the power was coming from. Look what they say in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Um, by the way, you need to know this. Baal, Zebul, is... Uh, the Lord of the high place, and that was a Philistine god, Baal, Zebul, the Lord of the high place. The Jews didn't like Baal, Zebul. They didn't like people who worshipped other gods. They were monotheistic. They believed in the true and living God. Uh, So they kind of had a mock name, uh, and their mock name was Beelzebul, which means Lord of the Flies which is a Jewish insult. Uh, now, you might have a Buddhist friend come round for, uh, for a meal with you. You've been hospitable and then the, uh, uh, 
you see the butter on the table and you can't resist saying, I can't believe it's not Buddha. It'd be that kind of joke. It's kind of a put-down joke, play on the name. Uh, and so, Baalzebul, Beelzebub. Uh, and if you listen to the Queen song, they even say it slightly differently, Beelzebub. Uh, so they put a B on the end of it. Has a devil put aside for me. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. But this is what the, the rabbis from Jerusalem say. We absolutely believe that healings are happening, but we believe he's like the devil. He's powered by the devil. It's by the power of the devil he's doing miracles and casting out demons. And Jesus says, well, that would just be idiotic for the devil to be casting out one of his own team. Uh, and Jesus says this, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house. The strong man is the devil. He's strong without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Jesus is stronger. The devil's a strong man. Jesus the stronger man. He ties up the devil. The devil is limited now. He can't just move anywhere he wants. He's on this tied up rope chain, it says in Revelation. He's under the sovereignty of God, but he still tries to do, if you walk round a dog that's chained up, if you walk within the chain area, you're still in trouble. If you walk just outside the length of the chain, you're okay. Rah, rah, rah. It's okay. He can bark as much as he likes, as long as you stay outside of his sphere. Jesus is telling us he's stronger. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But the rabbis come from Jerusalem. Jesus is bad. We hate him. We hate him getting the crowds. We hate the crowds going to him. They should be coming to Jerusalem and coming to the temple and being with us. They hate him. They say he's bad. But in fact, the Bible says in Acts 10, after Jesus has died and risen from the dead and the Spirit of God's been poured out on the church, in Acts 10 it says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good, he's not bad, and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. All over the earth you will see stories of uh, people saying Christians are bad. The Pope said Luther was bad when he translated the German uh, the, the Latin Bible into German. Tyndale and Wycliffe were bad because they translated the Latin Bible into English. Uh, we've just been on a holiday to Malta and if you go into the dungeon in Medina, it's just horrific because uh, there's one story of a, a Lutheran, a, a lovely teacher teaching about the gospel and she's accused of being a Lutheran and she's put to death for being a Lutheran by the Catholics on the island. It's a very Catholic island. But we've got stories like that in Liverpool of persecution because people are following Jesus in a slightly different way from another group. You might be accused of being bad for following Jesus. I don't know, it's kind of out of fashion now uh, but the school we first met at, Christian Fellowship School, they were famous uh, for wanting permission, 
from the parents to smack the children if they misbehave. Uh, and so that was one of their big things. But they were accused of being bad. And actually, they did it in a loving environment. Uh, they did it with the permission of the parents. They uh, did it to try to have discipline. And if you ever went to the school and met the kids, you think, wow, these kids are lovely. They're so well-behaved. Not because they were terrorized. They were full of joy. Uh, uh, there was real discipline there. It's a Bible concept. Spare the rod, spoil the child. But it's a concept that now, if you said, actually, I'm standing, we've got some uh, people who came from Nigeria in our church, they still think, it's okay. I personally think it's okay, but it's totally out of fashion now as a thing that's a Bible concept and good to bring discipline. You will be accused now of being bad. I remember smacking my son and him saying, uh, he was about eight He'd done something naughty, and he said, I'm going to report you to Childline. I said, I love you. You know I love you. You know why I had to smack you. Because uh, I told you not to do it. You disobeyed. Uh, he didn't ring Childline, but he could have done. <laughs> he could have done. But you get accused of being bad when you follow the good one. The good one is Jesus. He only does good. But we get accused of all kinds of things as Christians. But look how Mark uh, starts to lead us in Peter's story in Mark chapter 4. Uh, there's a storm, a furious squall has come up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now these are fishermen who are telling this story. So they would have been pretty used to stormy weather. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. You can sleep and rest and trust in Jesus even in the storms in your life because he is the one who's in control. He's asleep on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now people often say, I wish I could see a miracle. If I could see a miracle, I'd believe in him. Look, this is how the reaction is when they see a miracle. They've just seen a miracle. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They didn't seem to talk to him, say, who are you? They're scared of him. People seeing a miracle can be fearful and step away from God. But actually, for Peter, this helps him more and more to become convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's how it's going to end up in Mark's Gospel. That's Peter's conclusion. But at this stage, they're still saying, who is this? He's God. He's fully man but he's God come down from heaven and he goes around doing good. Now, at the time Peter's writing this, or Mark's writing this account of Peter's life, there's another storm going on. Nero has got Peter and he's going to execute Peter. He's going to crucify Peter. And Peter says, I want to be crucified upside down. It's not in the Bible but there's enough history accounts uh, for me to believe that this is how Peter finally died. And I'm sure that they said to him, Peter, you realise that's even more painful. Crucifixion's 
excruciating. That's where that phrase comes from, from the cross, excruciating. But being crucified upside down is even worse. But he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. I've denied him. Who am I? I'm just a fisherman. Who's Peter? He's the rock on whom Jesus is going to build his church. We are those same rocks, living stones that God wants to build his church on. What am I getting out of church? Is it really the right question? I mean, it's not wrong to say, actually, it would help me if we did that, or if we, could we tweak this, can we make this better? All those things are good, but it's good when you're saying it with a heart attitude that says, what can I do to make this different? How can I help here to release some people to go to plant the next church? Or, how can I leave here and be part of the team that goes to the next church? It's amazing to say, what can I do? Lord, I'm yours. What can I do? That's how Peter was. And uh, so Peter is executed upside down. Nero later commits suicide. He really was mad, but everyone turned against him. His own senate turned against him. He's the only emperor to commit suicide. He was mad and bad, and he was just a man. Jesus isn't mad or bad, he's God. And he's calling us to follow him. And in his days, before his crucifixion, Pilate says to him, Jesus, you're mad. I, I've, got, I've got the power of life and death, Jesus. And Jesus says, I could call on 10,000 angels right now, Mr. Pilate, and they would save me, but I'm not going to. Pilate's final way of dealing with it was to wash his hands. Jesus has the power, but Jesus is also willing to be called a fool. You're a fool, Jesus. I've got power over you. Jesus knows where the power comes from. It's not from the devil. It's totally from God the Father and the Spirit of God coming on him, and he calls us to follow him in that same power. That when we follow Jesus, we are called into this powerhouse relationship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They don't leave us alone. If we're lonely, they come alongside to encourage us. It's an amazing thing to be called into a relationship with the one and true living God. And Jesus is alive. He was put to death under Pilate's authority. But he rose again on the third day, and he says, let's follow him. And he says to us, our job is to say to others, come, follow him. Now, it may be that the first step is just get them along on the 16th to the carol service. But it may be that today there's someone who's thinking, I'm not quite there yet. So I'd like us to respond uh, as Christians in a minute, but I just want to give a chance for maybe someone who isn't already a Christian, and they're thinking, I want to know Jesus. So could everyone bow their head and close their eyes? And while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I'd like to ask, if today you know you're not a Christian, and you're thinking, I want to give my life, I want to follow this Jesus, would you put your hand up where you are? Just say, that's me. I, I want to follow him. I'm ready to give my life to him today. 
Is that you today? Jesus is saying, come, all you who are weary and burdened. Is that you today? Jesus says, today is the day of salvation. Okay, you may open your eyes. Uh, Let me ask you, church, uh, do you want to do good this morning? Those who follow Jesus tend to do good. Put your hand up if you're one of those who wants to do good. It's a bit of a trick question, thank you. So every hand's gone up. Uh, There's all sorts of ways we can do good. Uh, It's good to pray for each other. It's good to fellowship with each other and chat to someone you haven't met before. It's good to support what's going on in Crewnap, which this afternoon. Uh, It's good to help with whatever clearer ways needed today here. There's all kinds of things we can do to be good. It's good to go out of here and go and talk to someone. Or to go and talk to someone, you may think, I've got someone in Crew and Nantwich, I'm going to invite them along this afternoon, I'm going to leave a bit quick so that I can go and phone them. All those things are good. Uh, Who would love to pray for someone today? That makes you the prayer. You're the labourer. Okay, so we've got probably 20 hands have gone up. Who would love prayer today? Put your hand up. For anything. Might be healing, might be something else. There's going to be more than that. Look, you may think, I'm bothering Jesus. No, you're not. There's enough of us. Put your hands up if you'd love prayer today. Okay? I see four hands. And let's get some people around, Keith. Five hands, six hands. So look, keep your hands up now, please. Let's all stand up. Let's look round. Let's go and pray for people. Some around Keith, purple jumper, PowerPoint. Uh, right here, let's gather around. I'm going to pray as well. Father, we ask for an outpouring of your spirit on us today to plant another church in the crew and that which. We ask for power to come on us as we pray for the sick. We ask for healings to come. We ask for salvation to come. We pray for, thank you for the baptism on the night. Give us more salvation, more people to be baptized. Give us many visitors on the 16th. Let the power of God come on us in Jesus' name. Amen.